I think um, if you go back to how we were designed to function, it was without shoes. And, and any shoe that we wear now, any conventional shoe, is moving us away from that. And it's, um, I mean, this is a very oft asked question, like where is our proof? But it's almost like where is the proof? We should be asking where is the proof that we need a heel, that we need something stiff? Like it should be, um, the, the shoe should be on the other foot, pardon the pun, in terms of, in terms of asking where the proof, the, um, the need for proof is. That's the issue with conventional footwear. It changes our natural way of moving and so therefore you miss out on the way we're meant to move. Kia ora plum friends. Welcome back to the Vegan Body Coach Podcast. My name is Jackson Burden. I'm your host. I'm a personal trainer, online coach, and gym owner here in Auckland, New Zealand. And today, I want to talk about your feet. Recently, I had to replace my old New Balance running shoes. They've seen me through like the last six to seven years of running, so they're definitely a bit beat up and ready to be ready to have a new pair. And so, like most people, I wanted to get the right shoe for me. And so I took myself down to the local expert running shoe store to get an analysis and find the perfect pair of shoes for my marathon training. So I jump on the machine and they do a fancy gait analysis and proceed to tell me all kinds of truths about my feet. Now, if I didn't know any better, I would have gone ahead with their recommendations on the spot and forked out $200 plus for a shoe that would likely do the job, but was absolutely not the perfect shoe for me. You see, majority of people at these stores are not experts, and more often than not, they're just selling shoes that they've been told to sell, not shoes that are designed for feet. So enter my good friend, Adriana, who with one line stated, I highly recommend you look into barefoot shoes. Now, Adriana had just read Born to Run, a bit of a cult classic in the barefoot running scene, and had already started her transition into a pair of barefoot style running shoes. Now, prior to this, my only perceptions of barefoot shoes were the super goofy five finger Vibrams, you know, like the toe shoes that were all the rage about 10 years ago. And yeah, safe to say I'll stick with my new balances. <laughs> but I'm a curious guy, and after hearing a little more about leading brands such as Vivo Barefoot and other brands similar, I decided to dive a little deeper into this whole barefoot shoe world and see what this whole thing is about. So a whole bunch of YouTube shoe videos and how to transition articles and expert lectures later, I was sold. Modern footwear are destroying my feet. And companies are making a killing while we repeatedly buy shoes that crunch our toes, weaken our arches, and cause knee pain. Luckily, I didn't actually buy those expensive pain-causing shoes I was recommended, and instead, I did my own research, and now I'm running in a pair of shoes that are more aligned with my natural foot function. So friends, with all that being said, I have someone who actually knows this stuff when it comes to the functions of our feet and what shoes work best. Andy is a natural podiatrist based in Melbourne, and on this episode, we're going to dive into how natural podiatry differs from what's taught in mainstream academia, why feet are so important to human movement and the common issues we see in Western populations, how footwear has evolved, and what it is about modern-day footwear that is causing so many issues for people. And of course, we dive into all things barefoot shoes, whether they're the right fit for you, and if you choose to do so, how to transition. 
So with that, let's dive in. And I don't blame me if you spend the rest of this week looking for new shoes. And just a quick disclaimer before we get started, the audio on my side of this recording is pretty rubbish. Um, Unfortunately, I forgot to select my microphone when recording this one, but Andy's audio is perfect, so you'll get the gist of this interview. This is episode 34 with Andy Bryant. Okay, Andy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. really appreciate your time and really looking forward to dive into this uh, this topic with you. It's something I haven't chatted about on the podcast yet or really shared with my community um, as of yet because I'm so new to this area. So I'm really looking forward to getting your insight here and then potentially opening some minds in relation to our feet, our footwear, and how that all affects our lifestyles. Could you just potentially give a little rundown of, of who you are, Andy, and what you do and what your specialties are. Hi, Jackson. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a podiatrist in Melbourne, and I've been a podiatrist for just over 20 years. Wow. And, and the last um, five years, I've sort of delved into the barefoot movement and um, shoes that mimic being barefoot, and my practice has grown in that direction. And so now I just help people that are that way inclined um, with issues they might be having or um, or helping them to transition to this type of shoe. And I also, uh, you know, if I just see someone walking off the street that doesn't know that I practice this way, I explain how, how, I, how I do practice. And so it's kind of relevant to everyone um, and it's a way of practicing that everyone can benefit from, benefit from if they're motivated enough to put the hard work in. So, so you mentioned there that you it's only the last five years or so you've been going down that barefoot route. Um, yeah. I'd love to know the evolution of your, your I guess, your practice in podiatry as to how you got to the point of now kind of uh, going down a little bit more of the, the barefoot minimalist idea. Yeah, so at, at uni, um, like 20, 25 years ago, um, this is not really even spoken of. Um, we talk a lot about how the foot functions, uh, and that's all based on how it functions barefoot, but then we just add shoes to that equation all the time, and it's just a given that that's the case. And I think most podiatrists still don't even see the shoe as such a big part of the equation. Mm. Um, and so I left uni, and I um, I thought I wanted to be an educator, but then I started working and en- I was enjoying working. But it's interesting now because I think I've come full circle and I'm more of an educator, even um, with my clients in the practice and then in forums like this and We'll talk about it maybe a bit later. I'm, I'm forming something called Natural Podiatry, which is getting other podiatrists on board for this uh, curriculum to educate other podiatrists. Anyway, so um, I went into practice and then went into partnership, and that was a very traditional podiatry practice, orthotics, um, just routine work that most podiatrists do. We had our own orthotic lab. I'd make my own orthotics. Um, and I was always, I would think, an under-prescriber, and I had probably good referral base because people only sent to me um, knowing that I wouldn't over-prescribe an orthotic, but I still it was the mainstay of my practice, like most um, podiatrists. Um, I'd been a competitive runner um, when I, up to when I started podiatry, but injuries wore me down, so then I became a competitive cyclist. And um, about five, six years ago, I started having a, few, a series of accidents and head injuries, um, at which meant I couldn't um, ride anymore, at, like I had a series of concussions. So I stopped riding and... For some reason, and I still don't know why, I went to a yoga class six o'clock one Wednesday morning, and I remember it like very clearly. Um, 
and just thinking, just coming away thinking, wow, my my headspace is so clear, and I've never moved my body in so many different ways. Um, over a period of about a year, I started noticing my feet getting stronger through that, um, and also training in a gym where people were going barefoot, and I was like in my um, supportive shoes and still wearing orthotics. I've been wearing orthotics for twenty years myself. My kids were in orthotics. My wife is in orthotics. Right. Um, this is what we do as a podiatrist. And then, um, so I was just like, oh wow, my feet are getting stronger. I should be able to teach people for you know, the same thing. About 10 years ago, there was a, a barefoot movement um, on the back of the book Born to Run, and I remember clients coming in and asking me about it, and I would say things like, oh, no, you can't train the feet like you can train other parts of the body. I was just repeating what I'd been told again. Yeah, totally. And I don't think I was defending what I did, but I just didn't even um, look into it at all. So then, um, yeah, so five years ago, started um, the, my own barefoot little journey, I guess, and w- went back to running and was getting injured again. And so I looked into barefoot running and changing my technique um, because I was like, something must be underlying um, these injuries. And that's still a progression. Like I'm still, it's a very a long, slow progression to change into barefoot running. Um, so it's still happening for me. Yeah. So then I realized my business partner wasn't going to be coming on board with this right. type of work. And I found it difficult to, um, work out of a practice where if someone came in off the street, there was one form of treatment and, um, with one person and a totally different one with the other person. Totally. And so I, um, apart, not just that reason, but for other reasons as well, I left that business partnership uh, at the start of last year and um, just went out on my own and that's been like just opened so many doors because I can just practice freely now and I don't have to worry about what the guy next door is doing and um, yeah it just freed me in terms of uh, my whole ability to work so it's it's pretty exciting and that's where that brings me to today (laughs) I love that I mean I love I love hearing that journey and I think you know with something like this with I guess the, the barefoot running kind of movement and barefoot shoe movement it is one of those kind of fringe sort of things that are happening on the sides that uh, you know when you look from the outside you're like oh that's just some kind of like guru weird kind of hippie stuff going on and i thought that thing when i was you know starting to see even back in you know i think it was 2011 when i was in the army i still i had guys with me who were buying the vibram the five finger vibrams and we all just you know took the shit out of those guys for wearing those you know what i mean but it's it's been you know multiple years since i haven't really heard anything about it and then recently a friend had read born to run which is obviously you know one of the big instigators of this movement and she well i was looking at running shoes at the time because we were about to start preparing for a marathon and i was like oh, i'm gonna upgrade my shoes i'm gonna go to the shoe store and, and i'm gonna ask them what you know tell me tell me what to buy and she was like just going to put this out there, but have a look into like barefoot shoes. And I, you know, I just poo pooed it and said, no, 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 I'm not going to go down that route. Like that's some weird stuff. And, but because I respect her and I respect her opinion, I, I'm one of those guys that just kind of has to go and do my own research. Cause I have to know the truth. I have to know what's going on. So I started to look more and more into this whole barefoot movement, watching some YouTube videos, reading some blogs, some articles, watching some reviews. Um, and now I'm just down that rabbit hole, you know, full full body down that rabbit hole and um and have since you know purchased uh a various different pairs of shoes to help me with my transition but i just think it's so interesting with these these kind of yeah fringe movements and they slowly pick up steam and especially with social media these days you know you can really create a movement and i think there's there's so much value to it and there's so much to be discovered and learned what would you say is the the biggest thing that you have changed in your practice 
now considering you're more down the line of promoting a um, a barefoot style shoe is it that you're no longer promoting orthotics yeah so i, I might have prescribed three orthotics in the last um 18 months compared to three a week and some people would be doing three a day or five a day you know wow. so um that's definitely something but i don't really see it as um as like an orthotic yes or no it's more that i just have a totally different as um view there's something called the foot collective and this is a guy named nick st louis he's a physical therapist in canada and he's kind of been a mentor for me um just like i remember him coming out here to do a course and me and me asking how do I even structure my appointments? You know, like um, I don't, I just had no idea. An initial, initial consultation used to be half an hour, and now I take an hour and fifteen minutes and just talk to someone or just have someone talk to me for like twenty minutes for the first twenty, just explaining the whole story yeah. and um and That's telling right. me what you know everything they've done for the their whole life because it all kind of matters to their feet you know if they had an ankle sprain that they did, didn't rehab when they were 15 and they're now 45 that's going to have an effect on them and i need to know about that mm. so i think it's just a more holistic approach and yes. um and, and a more holistic um long-term view to being better as well like as in yeah. um not just like getting someone to feel better as they walk out it's more about how they're going to feel in a year's time and two years time and people are a bit surprised when I don't often book them straight back in or get them say, tell them they're going to have to come back 10 times it's more about educating them to a point where they're able to look after themselves um, and that's not to say I don't have to have reviews and to extend things as we know with any rehabilitation you need to keep making it harder and harder for the body to respond but a, a lot of the time it becomes self-guided and they just use me as a resource going forward so like I said before I've become more of an educator like at the end of a day when I've just been consulting on the biomechanic cases like the barefoot things um, I'm exhausted because I've had to think a lot and I've had to do a lot of talking and a lot of um, mm. explaining but like it would to you now that you've been down that rabbit hole, it just kind of make it just makes sense, and it's it's almost um, a bit silly that the foot has been left behind mm. um, in terms of the movement, movement or strength and conditioning. Like uh, the foot responds exactly the same way as the rest of the body, but most people still think, and there's still this whole idea that our foot needs support, and the podiatry um, the podiatry population. In, in general still um advocate for that like if you if you went into a podiatry university now they'd still be telling you to put up um telling clients to put on supportive shoes that the foot needs support and and that's um not i, I don't i think that's a long way of changing as well there's a lot riding on that message i, I guess a question for you and is where do you think that why do you think there is that sort of that gap there between what is taught in academia to what we're now starting to learn about the feet in their natural form um, I think um, just because it's what's always been done and universities are very slow to change, they need like very specific evidence-based and if the people that are teaching it learnt it that way and aren't even looking into why as to how it could like to do the research to promote it, especially when so much rests upon, like the whole profession rests upon um, things going wrong, mostly due to footwear. So if you take the footwear away, where is our profession? And I, I did a um, an online lecture for South Korea on the weekend and they hardly have podiatrists and a lot of the Asian countries hardly have podiatrists because it's a it's very much a barefoot um, culture at home, a lot of floor sitting, so hip mobility, which is huge in healthy feet. So there's hardly, um, there's hardly even that profession. I think our profession 
that was uh, has been born out of poor footwear. And so if you take it away, then what's left? And I'm almost trying to do myself out of a job. I don't like I, I enjoy my job. I find it satisfying, but I don't love it. You know, mm. I would I like to see people being able to look after themselves. And um, so yeah, I think the answer to that is it's just the way it's always been, and there's a lot riding on it, um, and that there's not the research in the foot specific field. But you can you know any strength and conditioning research that shows um, movement and um, you know, that said principle of specific adaptation to impose demand, that can be applied to the foot as well. And um, But I just have to do something about it now because uh, there is evidence for foot strengthening, mm. but they still don't take away the orthotic and they still don't take away the traditional shoe. And my argument, the other thing that I'm passionate about is habitual changes and habitual movement. And um, you don't need to do the exercises if you're taking away the shoe. You don't need to... Um, you know, if you take the orthotic and the shoe that braces the foot away, then mobility starts increasing straight away and strength starts increasing straight away. And and so when people are still prescribing the orthotic and not changing the shoe but prescribing exercises because that's what the evidence is saying, it's kind of a bit counterintuitive, I think, right. it's like, um, having a bit each way and they don't want to um, lose the orthotic sale or take someone out of their shoes because the other shoes look funny or something, you know. So I guess from your perspective, Andy, the, the orthotic or any kind of shoe that provides that bracing and support is just more of a Band-Aid to an underlying issue that's not been addressed. 100%, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting uh, – I mean, okay, I guess we could go down that route for a, for a long time. But I do want to ask, where where do you think this whole thing has started? If we don't have a lot of you know research on the kind of barefoot – I guess barefoot style shoes and, and wearing barefoot lo- and just using bare feet long term, um, and it's not currently being taught in academia. Yeah. Is mo- majority of this movement stemming from, say, the book Born to Run, or is there other elements to this? And and how credible? How do how do we know this is something that we want? This is a route we want to go down as a population. I think um, if you go back to how we are designed to function, it was without shoes. And, and any shoe that we wear now, any conventional shoe, is moving us away from that. And it's, um, I mean, this is a very oft asked question, like mm. where is our proof? But mm. it's almost like where is the proof? We should be asking where is the proof that we need a heel, that we need something stiff? Like it should be, um, the, the shoe should be on the other foot, pardon the pun, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of asking where the proof, the, um, the need for proof is. Like mm. um, the, the traditional running shoe came about because in the 60s and 70s there was a running boom, in, especially in America but across the Western world, where a lot of um, habitually sedentary people became runners, you know, like going out to run the local 10K and things like this, and they probably lost the skill of running and they were sitting down all day, you know, like office workers, so they they weren't good movers and they were getting injured, especially around the calves, Achilles, and um, the big shoe companies went to orthopedic surgeons and said, what do we do about this? And they said, you put a heel raise in. And this is where a heel raise came about. Before that, the athletic shoe was a very thin-soled, like, waffle um, shoe. Like, the original Nikes were a waffle-shaped shoe. And so a heeled shoe and a cushioned shoe came about because of people running poorly, basically. Mm. And so instead of changing the way they ran, they changed the shoe to accommodate them running poorly. And... Um, I think the whole biomechanic 
podiatry profession has come about since then. Like it blossomed around then in the 60s and 70s because we needed to then also change um, the mechanics of the foot to accommodate that type of shoe. And so it's just moving further and further away from our natural way of being. And so the proof, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like I do wonder, like we see all these guys and girls moving really well in their 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s. What are they, are they going to be that, you know, the 80-year-olds that are just killing it still? Like you see them occasionally, those 80-year-olds killing it. Yeah, totally. Um, a big fan, I was a big fan before I got into all of this was, um, through my running was a guy named Percy Serity who was Herb Elliott's coach in the like in the 60s a, a famous um 1500 meter runner here in Australia and um he was all for a, a very um minimalist lifestyle and he was like this 70 year old that would run 200 k's in a day like he'd just go out and run and like I think um we're gonna see this is my idea that yeah. we're gonna see these people aging very well we're gonna age very well because we're so much more aware of how we move and what we eat and sleep and the communities we involve ourselves in and and mindfulness as well and so I, mm. I think um the proof will be in the pudding for sure mm. um and this is not for everyone there's still going to be a whole lot of people running around in heeled stiff cushion shoes and sitting down all day and then complaining when they get injured. Like 70% of runners get injured every year. It's obscene. But um, I'm not saying that if you start running barefoot, you're not going to get injured because it's um, other factors involved as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I answered that very well. Oh, great. Um, but, yeah. No, I think you answered that perfectly. And I love I love the, the correlation you made there of, you know, people deciding they want to start running, but they're coming off a sedentary lifestyle. They're coming off the couch. They've yeah. probably not been in a deep squat in their entire life since they were three years old, you know, and they're not ready to go and run. But yet, you know, it's it just seems like so many of the the conveniences we have in our lives are actually things that hinder our mobility, our long-term performance, you know, and we just don't have these, we don't have the structures to, to be able to withstand the sudden bursts of energy we have when it, when we decide to go and sign up for a five kilometer or we decide to start in the gym or whatever, because we've just been living these relatively sedentary lifestyles, sitting in chairs, um, you know, and not really, and I can see you're on the floor now, Andy, not really getting yeah. into these positions where we're having to, you know, go into deep, uh, deep hip flexion, deep knee flexion, um, ankle flexion, going to these end range joint positions that we just forget to do. And, and I think like you're saying, I a hundred percent agree. I'm really looking forward to seeing the, uh, the populations now in their thirties, forties, fifties, who are very health conscious and living more along that holistic spectrum, get into their seventies, eighties, nineties, and still kicking ass, performing, um, you know, at their best and being able to move and, and be mobile. So I'm really excited for that as well, Andy. Yeah, and I like I am. We're renovating at home. This is reminding me of something. And the builders are nearly finished, and um, I've got them to put up in two bars for me to have a chin up bar in the backyard. And, um, and and the builders, like my age, is like, oh, I can't do a chin-up anymore. But the kids are amazing at it. And I've got swings, like um, Roman rings off a big tree. So the kids just, my kids just swing around and, you know, I, I just, and then I swing around as well. And my yeah. wife's like, what, are you going to be, my wife who's not as on board with this whole movement, movement <laughs> is wearing um, minimal shoes. Yep. And that's a story in itself. But um, she she's like, oh, what, you think you're going to be doing chin-ups for the rest of your life? I'm like, why not? Like if I don't ever stop, why would I ever not be able to keep doing chin-ups, you know? Right. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting that um, 
the, like that born to run. The issue with that time around and the difference between now and then is that um, it was a very emotive story and people didn't go about it sensibly. They just went from running 50Ks a week in their heel cushion shoes to trying to run 50Ks a week in a shoe that didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And so they got injured and, and, and it was a, there was a big demise. But I think now, the difference now is there's people like you, people that are into um, holistic movement, um, that are on board that are gonna, that are smart enough to tell the people to tell others let's not do let's not go over the top let's just ease ourselves in you know mm-hmm. like it's all about just um, slowly exposing yourself to your body to different positions and different um, ways yeah. which um, also reminds me with that deep squat I when I was a cyclist all I did was ride a bike and that's it I did it really well but I wasn't able to do anything else really and I had an osteopath ask me to do a deep squat and I couldn't get my thighs below 90 degrees parallel to the ground. That's probably like six years ago, um, and I was—I remember that being a point. Where I was like, "Wow, how have, I, how have I not? How can I not do this?" You know, and um, and still, sadly, now I see like fourteen-year-olds not being able to do that because they're already in this sedentary lifestyles. You know, mm. so um, but our bodies are amazingly adaptable and can change um back back to their innate ways very easily. So, Andy, let's dive into the nitty-gritty. I mean, why is it that our feet are so important and why why do we need to get away from this this old-school shoe-shaped mentality and move towards a foot-shaped shoe or potentially going into a barefoot lifestyle? Why is that actually important for human movement? Um, So there's no mistake in the um, way our foot is designed. And so to change that design is to take away from the way it's meant to function. And so um, if we go through what a traditional shoe does to um, the foot's function, that can be a helpful way to um, explain it. So when we have a heel, when we have a heel on the shoe, which is um, a positive heel, so it's higher than the forefoot, then it's changing our alignment through our whole whole body. Um, And I might just pause there, like, um, again, about the deep squat. Like people often ask, what about my shoes that I squat in in the gym? And I think it's fine to use a heel for squatting in in the gym if it's not hiding a deficiency in your ankle range of motion. If it's to improve performance, that's great. It's like having a bike that's heavy or a bike that's light. You're going to use the faster, lighter one in a race or when you're trying to perform your best, but you wouldn't um, you wouldn't not be able to ride a bike just so you could you, – do you know what I mean? Like the, that sounds um, amazing. Yeah, so the, having a heel, that's an, an argument that is a, a bit of – aside but um you shouldn't it shouldn't be used to hide um dysfunction a heel like that anyway so yeah a heel does change our mechanics um all the way up our body our postural alignment and then it also increases um it sort of magnifies anything that's going to happen in the foot so when our foot lands it's meant to roll in it's meant to pronate and if you have a heel it lands earlier and has to get to where it's going like pronating a lot faster and so it kind of magnifies that movement and so you'll see modern shoes that have some um higher density on the inside to slow that down because the shoe company knows that this is what's um that's um increasing that pronatory moment and that's what an orthotic does as well it slows that pronatory moment down and then if we get to the midfoot of a shoe, they're very stiff. They only really um, flex across where the um, big toe joint is. And there are so many joints in our midfoot. That's not a mistake. Our foot's meant to be relaxed and accommodative to the ground beneath it as it lands. And so if it's not, if it's being held stiffly by a shoe, then the shoe 
um, then the joints aren't moving and when we don't move a joint the muscles that cross it aren't working and they'll just weaken so there's some recent research that was done by a big minimalist shoe company so you have to take it take it with a grain of salt right. but they had um, two groups of people in conventional shoes and then they put a you know, one group into minimal shoes for six months and they'd measured foot strength at the start and at the end. And the six months later, I think there was a 60% increase in foot strength in those wearing a minimal shoe just because the joints were moving, so the muscles are moving, so the foot gets stronger. Wow. I think the sad, the sad thing about that is that, that the foot had the ability to get 60% stronger in six months because um, our feet should never be in a – I don't think they should ever be in a position where they really need to get that much stronger because they should never have got weak in the first place. Um, so then we get to – so the foot's come down, it's hit, hit on the big heel and the stiffness of the shoe is um, not let it relax into the ground. And then it, it does – Flex, most shoes flex across the big toe joint area or they have what's called toe spring, which is like a rocker bottom part. Um, instead of being flat like this, it's more curved under the, under the um, forefoot. And so that's to help the, the foot toe off, to push off. And so if when we push off without that rocker bottom, our toes plant into the ground and switch on all the muscles in the foot. And this has an effect all the way up into our pelvic floor to make it super efficient for towing off. So if the shoe's doing it for you, you're missing out on that happening. Um, and the other part of um, modern shoes, that they, they push the big toe sideways, so we also um, miss out on using our big toe properly and it should be straight. Nearly all modern shoes, conventional shoes, will push the big toe sideways. So, yeah, um, the, that's the issue with mm. conventional footwear. It changes our natural way of moving and so therefore you miss out on the way we're meant to move. When, when kids are babies and about to start walking, they'll be in a wide, thin, flat, flexible shoe. That's what the, the um, nurses and the people, to, the pediatricians will say um, a, a new walker needs to be in, something that's purely protecting their foot from something sharp or hot or cold because their foot's developing. But once kids go off to kindergarten or to school, they're um, in most places, they are put into their little Nikes or their little Adidas Asics um, which are healed, stiff, cushioned, and, like, their foot is still developing. My foot's still developing at 44 years of age. So our foot never stops developing, and for some reason the message changes as soon as they go off to kindergarten. If you look at toddlers, they're all in a perfectly minimal shoe, and then once they go to kinder, they're all in their little um, mini adult shoes. Yeah, I, I can totally resonate with that. I mean, as a kid, we, um, in at some of the smaller towns of New Zealand where I grew up, we wore bare feet to school every day. Yeah. There was just no shoes. Um, yeah. And it was only once these schools that I started going to started implementing uniforms, then we started to put on the, the dress shoes, the black leather, super stiff shoes with the heels. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about that now going, wow, I spent my entire teenage years in like the worst possible shoe for my feet um and you know you're running around at lunchtime in these shoes it's just it's and and now i mean just as a side tangent now that i've started wearing some of these minimalist shoes and and shoe sorry feet shaped shoes (laughs) where my feet my toes can splay and i've got room to move whenever i put on my old shoes all i can feel is um specifically my, my pinky toe just being absolutely crushed um, and I never noticed this before. And I've also realized that all of my shoes are about a half size too small as well. So mm. now I'm in a process of trying to get rid of all of my old shoes and replace them all because suddenly I've had my, my mind open to how my feet can feel when they're in an appropriate shoe. 
Yeah, and I, I, it was the same for me. I, I think I went to a funeral maybe two years into transitioning and I put on my, like, heeled right. stiff And after 20 minutes, my feet were killing me. And I'm like, I'm meant to be making myself a more robust human. But it's almost like if you haven't had a drink of alcohol for two years and then you have a glass of beer, it goes straight to your head. Right. It doesn't mean that you're not more robust. It's just that you're not used to something that's not that great for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't think that's a tangent. I think that's a, a really, um, I think most people do put shoes on that are too small for them. And um, to change, it's like mind blowing when you try and go back to the way that you, to what you used to do. Yeah. And, and from your experience, Andy, what are the, what are the biggest, I guess, common injuries you are seeing due to the modern day footwear that we are wearing? Um, is it, you know, is it the, the bunions of the feet? Is it Achilles problems? Is it ankle problems? What are we seeing that is causing um, this kind of stir up in the footwear world where we're moving towards a barefoot shoe? What are the injuries that we're seeing? So we're seeing, I think the most um, common thing would be oh, um, plantar heel pain. So um, heel pain on the sole of the foot. Um, it has about 20 different diagnoses, but um, the main one is probably plantar fasciopathy which is where the plantar fascia is um, aggravated and if you look at a modern shoe it's putting the plantar fascia in a constantly stretched position um, and it's also weakening the muscles that are between the plantar fascia and the bones and so instead of those muscles doing the work the plantar fascia is being overloaded and so it gets sore and there's an epidemic of plantar heel pain like it's the most common thing that podiatrists deal with and if you go to a barefoot community, people that are uh, habitually shot, um, unshod their whole lives, there's no plantar fasciitis. There's no plantar fascia issues. It's, this is a modern footwear phenomenon and it now blows me away that podiatrists, health professionals aren't saying it's a foot issue. It's a shoe issue, I should say. Um, when we strengthen the foot and mobilise it, hey, presto, it slowly, slowly gets better. <laughs> um I was when I said before about how Western cultures are put their kids in shoes when they're three or four. The the uh, the two countries that I hear of that aren't like that are New Zealand and South Africa. Um, that kids are still in some areas going to school or being being um, it's being suggested to train barefoot or you know if they go to sports class take your shoes off kids and yeah. like that's still part of the culture which I think is wonderful but I think it's probably slowly dying out yeah and it definitely is i mean especially like i'm in auckland here and so there's you know it's a big city um yeah. most of the kids are living in suburbs and it's just shoes all the time you know no one's yeah. rocking, no one's rocking bare feet anywhere yeah. um so i guess now that we've covered those you know what are the what are the issues with the with the current footwear that we're wearing yeah how does the i guess what are the main benefits of a barefoot style shoe and would you class a barefoot shoe as, um, sorry, would you class a minimal shoe as effective as a barefoot shoe at, I guess, promoting uh, enhanced foot? Dropping? Sorry, mate. You just dropped out a bit there. Did you oh, ask no me if, um, yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll say it again, man. So basically the, the question was, you know, now that we've covered some of the issues with the current footwear that, we, that we're having, the common injuries that it's creating, what is it? What are the benefits of actual a, a, a barefoot shoe in bringing our feet back to a more natural state? And as a follow-up question to that, it, do you see a difference between what's turned a minimal shoe and a barefoot style shoe? 
Um, oh, so so first of all, I might just address that one first. No, yep. the, the term minimal shoe, barefoot shoe, natural footwear, well, it's all the same. Um, they're all the same sh- types of shoes. Um, they are wide, thin, flat, and flexible. Cool. Wide at the tip, wide at the toe box, um, thin at the sole, flat from heel to toe, and flexible. So it's easy to remember. It's WTFF. Um, cool. And, and yeah, they're all different names for them. But they're, they have, depending on your foot shape, there's some that are extra wide, some that are more narrow. Some, so some fit certain feet better than others, you know. And then there are what we call transition shoes. And they're a shoe that might have less, like not be perfectly flat. So they've helped, they help you wean you off the heel. Mm. Or, there are, or they might have a little bit of support in the arch, like a Birkenstock, those sandals I would call a transition shoe. They're flat, they're wide, but they've still got support and, they've, and they're not very thin or flexible. So and there's a brand called Ultra, A-L-T-R-A, that a lot of people that um, run end up in because they've still got some cushioning. So they're a bit flexible, they're wide, they're flat, but the, people find it hard or aren't patient enough to build up a resilience to running on hard surfaces so they might still use some cushioning. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's all different um, levels of, of minimalism down to the thinnest shoe you can possibly get, something that purely um, protects you from something sharp, hot and cold. And not everyone is going to be um, get, able to get to that level. So we call it the footwear continuum, you know. Like if, if someone's in a he- high heel with pointy toes and they've got – a bunion or an ingrown toenail because their toes are squishing, just getting them towards something that's flatter and wider is going to help that problem. And so when in my clinic, I'm not telling everyone to go into full minimal shoes. I'm just heading people in that direction. And if it means um, they might end up in a shoe with some cushioning, some width and without their orthotic, that might be where they end up, but they're still going to be functioning far more naturally, far more efficiently, um, far in, in a way that's long-term better than if they were still in their orthotic and their, and their highly cushioned and stiff and rigid shoe. So, it, you know, it depends on where people are at to start with, where they want to go, how much work they want to put in, um, the, with the ultimate being someone that wants to be a bit like there are true barefooters that just like I've got a mate that runs 50Ks a week barefoot all around Melbourne, you know, and occasionally wow. he, he does stand on something sharp and it puts him out for a week or two and then he's back into it again, you know. Yeah. So like he's, bare, he's barefoot 95% of the time. Um, and the benefits, well, it's it's when our foot is not on its own, it's not a um, – it's – it's not just foot-based benefits. Our foot should be working in conjunction with the rest of our body. Right. And so when it is working naturally, it's, it's helping us benefit in so many different ways. It can be balance. Like at the sole of our foot has so many um, nerve endings um, that if, we are, if we're masking it with cushioning and stiffness, then our balance is going to be put off. It's like if, you, if I asked you to balance on one leg and close your eyes, it's a lot harder. And so similarly, when we mask the sole of our foot from actually feeling what's under it, um, our balance is put off. Mm. Um, any, if, if we just isolated strength, say, in what would be a good example, in your bicep but didn't look at your forearm and your shoulder and your back, then um, this, is, this would be similar to like working on calf raises and your, and your leg strength but not doing anything for your foot or just having your foot along for the ride. Any movement, even if you're just bench pressing, you know, when you're bench pressing, you're pushing your feet off the ground. They should be involved in the process. And yeah. if your foot is 
in something that's stiff, then you're, you're missing out on some factor that will be helping you even in your bench press, let, let alone squat or deadlift. And people already know that, that they, will, they will, are better off barefoot or in a very minimal shoe if they're squatting or deadlifting because they're grounding down, they're using their foot as part of the process. Or in yoga, like I learned, um, if you're in um, the starting pose, like a um, mountain pose or Tadasana, your feet are rooted into the ground. And once you root your feet into the ground, then your whole posture is um, switched on because of um, the fascial lines that that switches on. So really, when you're not training your feet, you're missing out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that, man. I think even just to kind of go off that point with your, your friend running around Melbourne, um, and stepping on sharp stuff. I actually, last year, I was spending a lot of time walking my dog barefoot because I just decided, yeah. hey, look, I was going to you know, start. And it wasn't because I was looking at barefoot shoes or anything. I just decided I wanted my feet in, on the ground again. Um, and I stepped on a bee and got a bee sting. And then after that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to wear my jandals again. Or, or, you know. <laughs> um, so, but now, you know, now I've got some barefoot um, trail shoes that I wear walking him, yeah. which is perfect, right? Because it's, it's, it's only there literally to protect my feet from stones and sharp objects and bees and things yeah. like that. So yeah. um, it's perfect. But I guess now that we've covered some of those main main areas of, you know, the benefits and, and, the, and the, the drawbacks of current footwear and the benefits of the, the barefoot style shoe – so say you've convinced someone, Andy, you've convinced someone they want to start making this journey, making this transition. Yeah. The From my experience and from talking with other people and, and, and watching some some different videos and things like that, the, the transition to a barefoot shoe um, is a lengthy one and quite a frustrating one. What is an individual's first step when they decide, hey, look, I'm going to start moving towards switching up my footwear? So first, I, I find I hopefully don't have to convince them. If I just educate them, then they can they make their own decisions. Yes. Um, and then um, it, I'll ask things like, how much are you barefoot at home? Because especially with COVID, a lot of people are barefoot a lot at home. And so suddenly they're, they're telling me they're already barefoot like 45 hours a week at least, you know, and, so, and then it's not going to be such a big deal for them. Um, so it really is about how much – they are used to being barefoot already, and some people just love it. And I've always been told that it's bad for them, and so it's like a re- it's like relief for them. So it's a huge um, scale. Some people just get used to it, like someone like that, straight away. It's just like a relief for them. They can go straight into that shoe, and there's no issue at all. That's one end of the spectrum, and I guess I don't have to see that many of those people. Yeah. I see more people that are more likely to want to do this, but are having trouble along the way, and so. Um, it's all about, as with any strength and conditioning program, it's about very gradual um, exposure to that new stimulus and knowing that often it's two steps forward, one step back, and just being patient. And sometimes there's going to be huge, um, you know, over summer people are probably more likely to be able to go a lot harder and then over winter they might get back into their shoes and, you know, it always takes me a couple of weeks at the start of warm weather for my feet to toughen up again. Like there's so many different factors and there's no um, there's no model that would suggest anyone is, you know, this is exactly the way to do it. It really is so, so um, different from one person to the next. But that said, I would have people starting going barefoot at home. I would have them going barefoot in the gym if they go to the gym and and looking into a mobility practice, whether that be yoga or Pilates or a martial art or a dance, something that 
creates some some movement variability. Like a lot of us get very stuck in doing one thing, like going hard at one thing and or just being a walker or just being a runner, and our bodies are made to move in variable ways. And so I, I find the people that um, do it more easily are ones that are, are variable movers, that are doing things and, and that move as a habit. You know, they're not just at their desk for eight hours a day and then going to exercise super hard. They're... they're um, they're generally movers. They might use a standing desk or like I've been sitting on the floor for the last hour, like just um, able to build habit into their life that means your body is um, ready to move at any moment rather than just for that hour at the end of the day. So I think they're the ones that do it more easily and mm. it's, that makes the transition a whole lot easier if you're, if you're willing to make those commitments to a whole lot more of your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what are some of the, I guess, the common issues we see when people are transitioning um, and potentially they're doing it too quickly? Because uh, obviously this thing will take – I mean, if you're if you're coming from the extreme or say, yeah. um, you know, one of our ladies who works in a corporate environment has to wear heels, pointy toe, super high heel, very yeah. rigid. I mean, for someone like that going into a barefoot shoe, that's going to take some time. So yeah. what are the common injuries we see and, and what can we, I guess, do to avoid some of those? Yeah. So um, we, I would say like Achilles issues, um, that would be one of the main ones, the calves. They're just not yeah. used to it. And, and you'll hear these people say, I can't, I need a heel. Actually, they actually think they need a heel. And then they'll stand into a minimal shoe and their body is so used to when their shoe goes on that they tip themselves forward and align differently that they'll put on a minimal shoe and they won't feel this when they're barefoot, but as soon as they put the shoe on, their body goes to a line in this different way and they feel like they're falling backwards. Yeah. And so um, it's amazing how our brain just is so attuned to what we expose it to. Um, so, yeah, mostly I would say Achilles or calf issues um, in, and just generalised foot pain. Maybe like my wife's a really good example. She's never done anything to help herself along the way. Like she just changed her shoes. Like she's never done any of the things that I would get someone to do in terms of rolling a ball and mobility and work like that. But she would. She said that her ankles were sore for the first few months, and then her knees were sore, and then her hips were sore, and then her back was like it was like her body was having to realign the whole way up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And and then yeah, um, that's the most thing. Like people find their posture is changing because of it, and yeah. so that has a whole lot of you know pain associated with it. I guess yeah. And you mentioned there, Andy, you know, some of the exercises you recommend for people to do, like, you know, using a ball and things like that. What would yeah. be the go-to, um, you know, because I've started using a few things myself just to try and help the journey. And, and I think, you know, my, I think I'll adapt relatively quickly just because I do spend a fair amount of time um, either bare feet or just in socks rocking around the gym. Um, yeah. And and I do have decent um, ankle range of motion already. Um, yeah. but I've started to implement a few exercises myself just to ensure that I'm, you know, um, getting the most out of this journey. So what would be your suggestions for a few different exercises or potentially stretches that people need to be doing? When our foot's been, um, not been exposed to deep pressure for a very long time, it, it, um, it can take a bit of getting used to, like having the pressure of something against your soul. And so using a mobility ball or a spiky ball and really getting stuck into it, um, and I usually suggest people do this while they're brushing their teeth. So a couple of times a day, really rolling out the sole of their foot and getting stuck in, stuck into all the niggly bits. So you're releasing the fascia, you're getting some more blood flow to the muscles, you're getting the joints moving. That would, that's like the number one thing to do if you're wanting to go down this path. Some people use toe spaces. Um, they're these, um, so our feet are meant to be widest from the tip of our big toe to the tip of our little toe, but most people 
feet are widest from the base of the toes because shoes have compressed the toes. And so toe spaces are these things you wear on your toes that spread your toes back to their kind of natural state. I think they're a bit of a passive tool and sometimes a sell, an upsell for someone. You know, like they can be selling these things. I think um, they are useful for, say, bunions or forefoot pathologies like neuromas and other injuries in the forefoot. They can be useful, but I, I think um, the sole of the, the forefoot has a little arch in it as well and it's meant to collapse and then spring back when we walk. And I think if you wear aggressive toe spaces when you're trying to function, I'm not sure that that um, does that well. So I think they're more of a passive tool, but I think it's worth mentioning because um, they're very popular and they're helpful, but they're not the be-all and end-all. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, you might have to work on ankle mobility, but I think, uh, you know, people talk a lot about having tight calves and not from going into minimalist shoes, just generally they're, they're having tight calves. And that's probably because they're in a heeled shoe and so their calf is constantly in a shortened position and that's why they have tight calves. I think a lot of tightness comes from weakness. So nearly everyone I see goes away with calf raises of some sort to work on their calf strength. It's not just a basic calf raise. I, I add in some foot, um, like the feet are switched on and they're squeezing a ball between their heels so the whole leg is activated. It's kind of mimicking what happens when we toe off or push off in the walking gait. And so um, I think weak calves are a big issue, and so strengthening the calves is a, is a good one. And you uh, mentioned before we came on today about moving your toes around. All the little mm. muscles in our feet are, are really important to be, um, to be activated, and you can't really mimic what our foot does when we're walking. There's so much pressure going through our foot when we're walking or running. But even just getting them moving and getting your brain connected to your feet again, like you could ask 100 people to move their big toe separately to their little toe and maybe 20% could actually do it because our feet are so switched off. Um, and then uh, so basically I'll get people doing foot exercises, ankle exercises, and then looking into the hip mobility. The hip is the best orthotic going around. Our hip controls what our foot is doing. And if um, there's mobility issues there, and there mostly are because we're sitting down a lot during the day, um, that needs to be addressed and then strength work around that mobility as well. No, those are, those are awesome tips, man. Um, and I guess I guess to to go a little deeper just on that, particular topic for people that are wanting to transition into a barefoot running shoe or they want to start they want to run in a barefoot shoe yeah. is this something that is you know like you said your friend's been doing it in bare feet is this something that is um yeah. i guess worthwhile pursuing for people i i guess i've got a, a friend at the moment who is training for this marathon she had planned to do it in her new barefoot shoes but the transition is just taking far too long and she decided, hey, yeah. look, I'm going to do this thing in my old shoes and I'll, and I'll work towards, you know, running in my barefoot shoes long term. Do you think this is something that is actually possible for most people who are transitioning to a barefoot shoe to be able to run in it as well? I think um, with time, but it's a long, slow process. I use a book called Older Yet Faster. And there's a podiatrist in Sydney that wrote it with her husband who's like a um, over-age world record holder. Um, and he was a good runner, a good club runner, but then he like discovered a better way of running and worked out that, um, you know, what shoes were doing to his the way he ran, and then we can translate that to most people. Um, we tend to overstride in a heeled shoe, like you put your foot out in front of you and then it acts as a brake. And so our technique is affected by um, the shoes that we wear. Like I said earlier, instead of changing the way people ran, they changed the shoe to accommodate the way people were running poorly. And running is a skill like like anything. I think we're, it's, it's similar to, say, squatting. 
as a kid, we're able to squat perfectly and um, and can stay in a deep squat for a long period of time. But with time, because of the way we move habitually, we lose the ability to squat. And mm-hmm. so similarly with running, if you watch a four-year-old running around the edge of a swimming pool barefoot on a hard surface, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But with time, we unlearn it from sitting a lot and wearing a heel cushion shoe. And so then for most of us, it becomes a new skill to have to learn how to run um, properly. Our technique um, needs changing. Because if you try and run the way you do in a heel cushion shoe, in a minimal shoe, it just hurts. And so um, you could just like pound away at it and keep going until you got it right because it would be what doesn't hurt. Or there are ways to learn. And that's like this book, Older Yet Faster. There are other methods like the pose method or the chi method. Um, with the Foot Collective, I'm coming up with um, a not the, not a method, but just like a, run, a natural running workshop where we're teaching oh. people to run in a natural way. So, yes, it can be done, but it has to be done so slowly. So that book, Older Yet Faster, um, suggests you do six weeks of exercises for your feet before you even start learning how to run properly again. Um, and your friend is a good example. Most people that are runners don't want to stop and start again. So I think that's why that book is called Older Yet Faster. This is for people that are 40 that have had injury after injury after injury and they're, and they're used to having to stop and they're, okay, you know what, I'm just going to start again. Um, and your friend, again, a good example, when she goes back to her other shoes to run that marathon or for her training for it, her technique is most likely going to be um, – is going to be affected by it, so it won't be as good. And a lot of the time the argument will be that elite runners are all running in these fancy cushioned shoes and heeled shoes. Yeah. They have got amazing technique to start with, and they are elite athletes that are ticking all the boxes. They've got mobility and hip and, and strength, and they've done – that's like a, diff, a subset of – it's not worthwhile comparing to, I think. Um, and I think last year a guy broke the 10,000-metre – world record on the track and there was a famous shot of him pushing off as he went around the bend and his foot was in this fully pronated position and this is making podiatrists around the world freak out because we're all (laughs) all taught that we shouldn't be in that position this guy ran the 10,000 meters in a world record time in that position Um, and so I think in one of his next so there's a lot about the shoes and how the shoes have a huge effect on all this I think in one of his next races which he won he didn't break a world record he did it barefoot like these guys are amazing so um, that's a subset. Yeah. But, right. yeah, basically to answer that question, you need huge amounts of patience. Like I'm probably four years into my running, my barefoot running journey and I run maybe three times a week and it's not without um, like niggles because I, I for 40 years before that, I was in a shoe that, in shoes and living a life that wasn't exposing myself to what running barefoot needs now, you know? And so um, I just strip away goals. So I don't have goals really. Um, I just have um, the goal of enjoying a run with my dogs. Like this morning I ran with my daughter who's 14 and like uh, there's no watch. She just knows she has to, we have to be home by a certain time. We just go out for a run. Like the beauty of that is, um, and, and to have that, I think, um, as a goal, to just enjoy it is um, ta- like it takes away the pressure. Like yeah. it's not a good idea to try and change the way you are running and your shoes with a marathon in, in um, anything within two years, I would say. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, no. And I could run a marathon now, but it would be um, painful, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that, yeah, I think that answers that. Yeah. Like you just have to go really, really slowly and be committed to the cause. 
Like my mate that runs 50Ks a week barefoot, his technique is not ideal either. Like he's making compensations. Like we all are different. We're not, no one's symmetrical. No one has perfect alignment. It's all about load management. And um, obviously if I usually run 50, 20Ks a week and I go and run 80Ks, I'll probably get injured even if my technique is perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. And if I usually run in a cushion shoe for 30Ks a week and then I go and run in a non-cushion shoe for 30Ks a week, I'll probably get a stress fracture in one of my metatarsals because those bones aren't used to being loaded. I see. Um, so um, it's you've got to be super sensible about it all. Yeah, and that's essentially you brought that up actually because recently I, I you mentioned ultras before and I did buy a pair of ultras to to run in just because I wanted a yeah. heel drop, uh, sorry, a zero heel drop shoe. Yeah. Um, but with a little bit more cushion for my transition period. Um, yeah. And I did do a long run in those. I started to get a bit of inflammation in kind of the metatarsal area or just on the ball of my foot. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, I came to the conclusion that was just because I, I did too much of a distance straight away. You know, I needed to yeah. give that a little bit more time. So I've decided, hey, look, I'm going to do a lot of my short runs in these shoes. But yeah. when it comes to my long distance stuff at this stage, I'm going to, you know, stick to my older shoes and, and sort of progress that over time. Yeah, and the, I think the ultimate for technique is to actually run barefoot on the hardest surface you can find, which is usually concrete, and just go and um, – it doesn't have to be long. You can just do it for 10 minutes. You might go for your run and, like, 10 minutes in, find, like, a netball court or something like that Yeah, and run – like, just run up and run the length and then walk the ends and just notice how you run when you're barefoot on a hard surface and then try and take that away with you when you're running otherwise – because that will be the closest thing you come to running in a way that is, um, yeah, that is helpful to your technique. I think without any other technique um, advice, because everyone's so different. Yeah. But on that, there is a lot of advice out there. It might be about cadence. It might be about foot strike. Really, the research is showing, and anyone that knows about running, it's mostly about um, your general posture. So if your general posture is good, then your foot strike will look after itself. Your cadence will look after itself. Um, you know, so it doesn't, there's not a hard and fast rule for these things. We shouldn't be saying you must be a forefoot striker, heel striker, or a midfoot striker. You must have a cadence of X per beats per minute. It's more about getting your whole body um, aligned correctly and then your feet just follow along. That's, it. That's how I teach it as well. And, um, and, and then it's um, far less um, like saying you must hit this target of, like it's very hard to land on your forefoot if you're running downhill. So it'd be right. silly to tell someone you must be a forefoot striker and then they go take that away and try and run on their forefoot for everything they do. They'll end up, you know, probably injured. So, yeah. 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 So, Andy, do you have, I don't know if you'd be willing to do this, but do you have recommendations for shoes that people could look at purchasing? I mean, are there certain brands that people should be looking at? Um, are there brands that they, people should steer away from? Um, do you have any recommendations for that sort of things? Yeah, so um, there's... You, once you start looking into this, there are hundreds of barefoot shoe brands and it's and the, there's the big ones like Vivo Barefoot that we talked about earlier um, they're the, and there are other, you know, really they've got market share and they're good for a specific foot type just like the next one's good for a specific foot type. Um, but they're the easiest to get, I think. One yes. of them and Zero are really easy to get, Ultra are easy to get, whereas some of the um, niche, there's, you know, um, Eastern Europe has got some really niche brands and they're um, beautiful shoes and they they might even be, um, you know, they might suit someone's style more, but it's um, it's a bigger commitment to send off to Slo- um, Slovakia for a pair of shoes, you know. Um, 
But that said, like they're just as good. And so there's not a good or a bad minimalist shoe. It's just one that suits your style, your activity. And even there with activity, um, I could come to work in a pair of shoes in a suit if I was still wearing a suit to work, which I don't. <laughs> you know, and then I could go and run a marathon in that shoe as well because my foot is just being a foot. And then I could yeah. go and play tennis in it and then I could go and trail walk in it. Um, it's it's um, only that the shoe looks a certain way to fit in with what you're looking for, you know? Yes. Um, so there are a couple of really good websites that have them all listed. One is called Anya's Reviews, A-N-Y-A-S Reviews, um, and then there's another one more locally called the Barefoot Shoe Review, and they've just got all the lists there. They've got discount codes. Um, if someone's looking to transition and think they're going to struggle, then you'd look at Ultra or Topo, T-O-P-O, because um, they've got, they're like a barefoot shoe with cushioning. Um, some of the others have more cushioning than others, but, you know, these um, review guides give you reviews on what this shoe's good for, and that's the place to go into, those those places. But I would avoid no, I love that, um, things like Hocker. <laughs> go on. Yes. Um, I, the things I would avoid, um, like a lot of people were wearing something like a Hocker. Have you heard of those, Hocker? I have, I have. Yeah. So a hocker is a rock, what we call a rocker bottom sole. So it's a very stiff shoe. And, but I just prescribe them a lot because they take away foot pain because your foot doesn't do much in it. Like your foot is just going along for the ride. It's like a, if someone was in a moon boot and I was trying to transition them out of a moon boot, that's where I go to a hocker. <laughs> yeah. Because it's actually stopping your foot um, doing much. And I thought I better go and try these on before I start dissing them. So I did. And, and coming from a minimalist shoe to a hocker, it was like, it's like my feet are taken out of the equation. Like they're not actually having to do anything. And when you do that, you miss out on what your feet can add to the way you move. And so um, I think if someone's in that, it's often because they've been injured and they've finally found something that doesn't hurt their feet. And I understand that. But I think um, it means you're skipping out on rehabilitating your feet. And at some point that's got to come home to roost. 100%. That's great, Andy. Yeah. And and for yourself, I guess to round this one out, mate, what, what do yeah. you wear yourself and, and what kind of activities do you do in those? I mean, you said you do a bit of running. Are you still doing the cycling as well? Um, how does how does your own sort of activity and, and footwear look like? Um, so I um, to, I don't wear anything but minimalist shoes now. I, I, you know, when I go to that funeral or wedding, I've got a minimalist shoe that suits the occasion now. Um, and then otherwise I would be barefoot. Um, I, in summer, I run either barefoot around like nice surfaces or in something called an earth runner, which is just like a sandal. Um, and then in winter, I run in Vivo with a, if it's muddy, like there's got to be more like a deeper lug on it. Or if it's on the road, I just run in a Vivo without any um, much cushioning. I have a regular yoga practice. I swing kettlebells around a few times a week. I try and move um, with my kids because they move. Um, in variable ways, you know, like they are more likely to go and climb a tree and especially if I'm going to climb it with them, you know. So totally. um, I have two Kelpies which are um, like sheep sheep dogs and they need probably three hours of exercise a day. So I, I walk a lot yeah. and I just walk in minimal shoes. Um, yeah, I don't I, – I, uh, I ride a bike occasionally with my son and I, there are shoes that are wider in the forefoot as well. Um, that I've got for that, the brand Bont, B-O-N-T, is it like the best for width. Yeah. Um, but mostly, I, like I used to be goal-driven and be highly competitive, but my movement now is about being a functional human being for like the next, I'm 44, for the next 40 years, you know, like I just want to be able to um, 
go and play. Like I used to have this idea that, and it was years ago before I'd got into this movement movement, um, that I could just go and do something and not pull up too sore from it, you know, um, anything at any moment. And so that now might look like a friend, like a, um, there's a local tennis club and I might go and play tennis with him every second week and I'm fine afterwards. Like my goal is to be able to move in ways that um, are adaptable to anything I want to do and know that you might be a bit sore the next day because you've done something different, but you're not going to not be able to do it and not injure yourself basically. Yeah. So they're my goals for movement, just to be like an adaptable, functional human being. And I love that. I think that's something that many of us should be aspiring towards and and getting to the point where, yeah, if your kids are climbing a tree, you can jump up there with them and enjoy that and, yeah. and not be that old kind of broken dad at the bottom of the tree, you know, yeah. watching their kids. I think that's such a brilliant way to live, Andy. Um, I did want to just give you the floor now just to plug any of your consulting, your coaching, um, anything that you've got coming up in the rest of 2021, 2022 um, with the different uh things you're involved in with the, the barefoot footwear sort of things and the podiatry, yeah. podiatry sort of things. Yeah, so um, natural podiatry is something that the Foot Collective um, guy, Nick St. Louis, and I came up with. And so I'm heading that up with him. And then there's podiatrist in London, Rena Harris, and two in the States, Ray McClanahan, who um, is the founder of Correct Toes. They're a toe spacer brand. And Steve, Steve and Bowie, they're both um, podiatric surgeons. So we're coming up with a curriculum for other podiatrists to um, to – well, they'll, they'll buy it initially, but then they'll become part of the community and hopefully update it and make it better just um, on how – it's not teaching them how what podiatry is or what we do. It's just explaining how to change their practice in, to be a natural podiatrist because there are others out there and we're not really united. We're all just doing our own thing and within a community we'll be better able to improve ourselves, teach each other, learn from each other. And my long-term goal with that is – for us, if you if you are in podiatry school, and um, I, well, one of the long term goals would be to have a subject at university where they have to transition themselves over six months and learn all about it just through living it. Um, so that n- not so that they don't become podiatrists like the one down the road, but just so that when someone comes to them, they can understand the process and understand what it means. Um, and I think actually living it is the most powerful thing. So I'd love that to happen out of natural podiatry, but also so that when someone is aligned this way, they can put up their shingle saying, I'm a natural podiatrist, and the person walking down the street knows what that means. It means that they need to be motivated, that they need to um, to look into a holistic um, lifestyle approach to looking after their feet. And so that's my, like, 10-year goal, I would say, to, for natural podiatry to make this a well-known um, option for people to look after their feet because now it's very niche. I have to screen people before they, I see them because most people coming to podiatrists still think they might get orthotics um, and I would love it that they just knew what a natural podiatrist meant. Yeah. So we're working on that curriculum but we're all busy so it's going to happen over the next 6 to 12 months. Um, that's like we just do 10-minute talks and a worksheet on different topics. There will be like 40 topics. So that's happening and that's pretty exciting. And then um, – also, the Foot Collective, the Natural Running Workshop, which is with a, a myotherapist here in Melbourne, and we're going to be doing an online running um, course for people to purchase and then um, all different modules like strength training for running, all different things like that. Um, they're just like the, my bonuses, my extra projects at the moment. Otherwise, I'm just busy in the, <laughs> busy in the clinic um, in Melbourne, in Mount Waverley and in Collingwood. So, yeah. 
Brilliant. Hey, well, you have to let me know when the the courses come out and when the workshops come yeah. out, and I'll definitely share it around as well. I think there'll be yes. a lot of listeners that would be keen to jump on board, and and even I'll um I'll pop your your details in the show notes as well if people wanted to get in contact. Yeah, um, sure. Because yeah. you know, as we chatted about before, you're doing some video consultations now. Am I right? Yeah, I do do online consults, especially when we're so locked down and. Um, it gives me more time to do some online consults. And they work okay. I get people to send me videos of them moving, squatting, hinging, running, and I, and their medical history. And it, it works quite well, especially as it's mostly educational. It's just like guiding people. So, yes. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think there'll be you know, definitely some people interested in that, Andy. So um, I'll throw that all in the show notes for you, man. But hey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and discussing this. Um, I think, you know, people are going to come away from this with their minds blown, hopefully, to how yeah. potentially their feet can work and interact with their body and the environment around them. Um, and hopefully progress towards a more functional and um, holistic human that they can you know enjoy the rest of their days um doing the things that they love so thank you so much andy um really really loved having you on thanks for having me jackson so there you have it friends andy bryan on footwear barefoot shoes and how to develop a holistic approach to your movement Hopefully that interested you, hopefully it inspired you to move towards a different way of moving and potentially looking into some different footwear. Um, At the same time, you know, disclaimer, barefoot shoes are not for everybody, but I do think moving towards a wider toe box, a flatter shoe, um, and a more malleable or flexible shoe is going to be a positive move for most people. I'll leave it there. If you want to get in touch with me, hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to see you share this episode if you loved it pop it on your stories or share it with a friend and if you want to give us a quick review on itunes and a quick subscribe and that'll help more people see this episode as well for any coaching inquiries you can jump on veganbody.coach and you can see everything that i do and don't do and you know flip me through a message on there to see if you want to get any more information on that side of things all right so that's a wrap go lift up go eat up And we'll see you in the next one for an episode all around training and the menstrual cycle. We'll see you there.